for wherever we live and whenever we've lived, whether it's in 2014 or whether it's in the time of Christ or before, and whatever we do, one thing is the same. And that is that uh, we have all come upon treacherous times of life. These seemingly out of control times of life. And whether you are a man or a woman or a young adult, and whether you are rich or poor or educated or uneducated, whether you're a business person or a tradesman or a homemaker or a pastor, or whether you're one of the 12 disciples, you know the experience that's pictured on the screen in some shape, manner, or form. Those times when life is coming and it's uh, hitting, and it's hitting fast and furious, and it feels heavy and it feels hard, we know about it. Times when even when it's all hitting and frankly you just feel hopeless. We all know about it. And the big question on the table today is as a follower of Christ, what does it look like to be a follower of Christ and respond in a way that glorifies him when life hits like you see on the screen? What does it mean to respond right when life feels totally out of control? What does it look like to lift high the name of Jesus Christ when the tornado is just about to overtake you? What does it look like? Well, please open your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. I've mentioned to you this is literally, uh, if not my favorite chapter of Scripture, one of the top three Um, If you're using the Bible in the uh, book holder, it's page 839. Uh, You can turn there, Mark chapter 4. Mark is the Indiana Jones gospel of the Bible. It's action, action, action. And we've seen these scenes that have been taking place and laid out for us here. And let me just lay some context of chapter 4 and with what we talked about last Sunday. Uh, Last Sunday, we were on verses 1 through 20, and we keyed in on those, and and I would term it that Jesus is giving a lecture. He's talking to a huge crowd. You can see in uh, chapter 4, verse 1, this is not 10 people. This is not hundreds of people. This is most likely thousands of people that are gathered together there, and Jesus is talking about these parables. Parables teach They're stories that teach. And uh, we keyed in last Sunday in the parable of the four soils. And we called the first soil the hard heart. It's the seed on the path that lands. Then the second soil we called the shallow heart. Uh, That's the rocky ground. And then the third soil was the crowded heart. It's the thorny, where the thorns grow up all around it. And the fourth soil is the fruitful soil. It's good soil. It's soil that's growing. The word has been received and fruit is being produced out of it. And we talked how Jesus is teaching his his hearers really what faith looks like. If you want to know what faith looks like and what it does not look like, that's the parable to take a peek at. It lays it right out for you. Faith does not look like the hard heart. 
where you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, and then you kind of are like, yeah, whatever, I'm out on this, this is ridiculous. And it's like, don't even talk to me, it's a hard heart. And then the shallow heart is the interesting thing of, yeah, I hear it, and and yeah, I'm about Jesus, and this sounds awesome, but then the text says, hear me on this and tuck this away in your mind, trouble or persecution comes. Because of the word the text tells us, because of Jesus Christ, because you're a follower of Christ in your own words, all of a sudden you come to experience trials and persecution and you get that water balloon hit on your Jesus bike and you fall off, you skin your knee and you go, I'm out of this. And then the third soil was the crowded heart. It's the one similarly that it's like, yeah, I'm about Jesus. And, and, but then the stuff of the world Stuff is so beautiful. It's like the bug into the light, but it's so beautiful. Zap. And then there's the fruitful heart. They they hear the word of God. They hear of Jesus Christ and they receive the seed. If you're here last weekend, remember the soil and they receive the seed and they put all of it into the seed and it grows and the roots penetrate every area over time. Growth is slow. That's the reality. And it's slow, but it continues on in it. And Mark chapter 4, Jesus gives a lecture about faith and what it looks like and doesn't look like. So it's 1, 2, and 3. They are not redeemed people, the text is pushing out. Listen, people in soils 4, we constantly touch our toes in soils 2 and 3. And that's the battle of it, but, but it's the reality of producing fruit. Well, we just have been had a lecture, and now we're about to enter a lab. We've just gone from a lecture, and we're now about to enter a laboratory. Do you remember labs in high school or college? Chemistry, physics. I love physics. Chemistry, I can't see it, whatever. We'll let you who are smarter than me do that. Why did they do a laboratory with a lecture? Why? I remember at the University of Minnesota where literally my favorite class was physics and it was a great part because the physics teacher was so loved physics and I loved going to the class because you got to see how the world was held together, i.e. by God. It was so cool in it all. But then they had a laboratory. Why? Well, the laboratory was designed for you to go somewhere and to enter in the physical uh, activity of seeing what you had just been lectured on in real life. Uh, Same at Purdue or IU or at University of Minnesota when I was there. Listen, here's the deal. They don't want to produce engineers that just can fill in the blanks. They want to produce engineers that know how to apply principles of physics, principles of chemistry into real life. You can have a lot of knowledge and have no idea how to apply it in life. And that's why the laboratory was brought there so you can see it happen and feel it and touch it and smell it and watch it. And I'll just say this, class is in section. The lecture has been given in chapter four and now it's time for the laboratory to take place. God, I pray as we dig into this text that you would grow us here. I pray all our ears, our eyes, our heart, our mind would be in this text because it's going to get wild. And Lord, I thank you that you use life as a tool in your hand. You are in control, even when it doesn't feel like it to us. 
You're not a pampering God. You are a perfecting God. And you use life, you allow life to grow us and to mature us. And we have firsthand front row seat of you doing that in the life of the disciples. You are fully worthy of our trust, Lord. And we look forward to seeing why here in this text. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, Mark chapter 4, let's pick up verse 35. Actually, let's pick up verse 33, okay? Verse 33, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. And he did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. That was last Sunday, verse 35. On that day when evening had come. Question, what day? Okay, so that day being the day that Jesus just did what we just read, right? Uh, The parables, he's giving parables and he's speaking in stories that teach and then he's explaining them to the disciples Uh, on that day. Why would Mark put that uh, clicker in there? Who cares what day it is? Part of what's going on today is I want for you to be uh, aware of how the Bible in the narrative is connected. Mark didn't have to say what day it was, but he did here. And I think there's a really good reason why. That day, when he had just been doing teaching essentially on what faith looks like, and faith is something that shows, faith is something that produces. On that day, uh, what time of the day? Evening. It's evening time. So it's been a long day. It's evening time. Uh, That's what Mark lays out for us here. On that day, when evening came, he said to them, Hey guys, let's go across to the other side. So it's on that day. It's the day of the large crowds. It's the day of him talking with the disciples. They're struggling to understand what he's teaching. It's now evening time on the very same day. It's been a long ministry day for Jesus. We'll see that proven here in just a second. And he says to his guys, hey guys, let's go across to the other side. Now, it's a normal request. They haven't just been blunderheads. And he's like, oh, you guys. Oh, Let's go to the other side, you so irritate me. Nothing like that, right? Say nothing. Nothing like that. We just see him going, hey, guys, let's just go to the other side. There's not been a sin that's been on the table. There's not punishment about to be unleashed on anyone. Jesus is just like, hey, let's what? Go, help me. Go where? Where? Don't forget that. And by the way, who said that? And who is Jesus? Jesus, Colossians chapter 1. Okay, we'll keep on going. Let's go to the other side. Verse 36. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. So is there just one boat? No, there's, there's multiple boats. How many boats? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Uh, We just know there's multiple boats. Verse 37, and a great windstorm arose. And we read that, and we oftentimes think like, ooh, a great windstorm. Ooh. You know, we really don't have quite a big perspective on, no, what kind of windstorm. I just want for you to know, in the Greek language, this is a huge windstorm. 
That's why in the English it says a great storm, trying to help us understand that. This isn't like they're out on a boat, you know, and they're going across. That's actually the Sea of Galilee, by the way, there. You can kind of see it at evening. And so, I don't know, are they quarter way across or halfway across? I don't know what's going on, where they're at. We just know this. They get in the boat and they start going and all of a sudden a great windstorm comes up. Uh, By the way, out on a water, you can see storms coming. And building in that. And meteorologically, in terminology today, this would be what we call a squall. It's, it's a line, it's a wall storm. You know, like when you see the radar and there's like a big red line? That's a squall. It's just like a wall of storm. It's just coming across. And that's what's happening here. Uh, not a, not a wimpy storm, not, not a cute storm, but a what storm? A great storm, a windstorm arose. And after the wave, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. Uh, serious storm. Okay, this was not a canoe. This was not a raft. This was a boat. This is a boat of some substantial size. This is not a yacht. But it's a boat. It's a boat big enough to be able to hold 13 people in it. Okay, so it's a good sized boat. And it's out on the Sea of Galilee, and the water is coming in on it. Okay? So it's not like, oh, oh, <laughs> No. Okay? The, the water is coming in, and I'll act it out here a little bit more in just a second. Something for you to look forward to. Hey, I've got a question here, though, in this. A windstorm is coming. It's a breaking over. It's filling the boat up. Who brought the storm? Look at the text. Who who brought the storm? I mean, who caused the storm? Do you see it? (laughs) Uh, Let me ask it this way. Could it have been Satan? I would say yes. It certainly could have brought Ben Satan to bring a storm. I mean, what an incredible opportunity to take Jesus Christ out in his mind. In fact, Job chapter 1 tells us that Satan brought fire from heaven and calamitous wind to kill. But he can do that. He can do that. It could have been Satan that brought this storm. Uh, also, here's another option. It could have been God the Father. No. God doesn't allow bad things ever to happen. No, it could have been. It could have been God the Father bringing an opportunity that he knows about to grow his guys. Uh, By the way, Job 38, it says God tilts the water skins of the heavens. You got that picture? There they are out there. Man, that's been an incredible day together. And all of a sudden, ping, and God the Father is like, okay? Here's what's interesting. The text doesn't tell us who brings it. And I just want to bring a theological, very serious thing to the table. Who cares? Too many people nowadays put themselves in the position of God the Father thinking they know who brought it. Satan's bringing me on this week. How do you know that? Well, it's bad. What? 
So that's your theology of God the Father, that God the Father only allows good things to happen. He only drops warm, fuzzy blankets on us and throws money and cash. What? Listen, God is not a pampering God. God is a perfecting God. The text doesn't tell us who brings it, and it doesn't matter because ultimately, read Job chapter 1, even if Satan brought the storm, that means that God the Father allowed Satan to bring the storm. So if you ever sit back and go, Satan is bringing this on me, one, I go, how do you know that? And two, you better watch it because if that's the case, God the Father has allowed Satan to bring that on you because Satan is God's Satan. Run that through your theological grid for a while. It doesn't matter. We just know this, a storm hit and the boat is filling Verse 37, a great windstorm arose. The waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filled. Verse 38, but, but, but is a contrasting word. Look at this contrast. Okay, great windstorm, but he, Jesus, is in the stern, the back of the boat, asleep on a cushion. (laughs) Dude, you got issues. How can that be? How could you be out in a storm where, where, where the boat is filling with water and, and how could he be, maybe he wasn't really asleep, maybe he was like back there, you know, under a blanket, like peeking out, you know, I'm asleep and he's like sitting there laughing his head off. Maybe that's it. No, the text says he was asleep. I just want to put it on the table. This is one of those moments that brings to bear the reality of how God the Son was fully in the flesh and he's ministry dead dog tired from a long ministry day. Listen, this is tired when you're sleeping like that. Thank you for our Savior putting himself out so hard that he's this exhausted. But he was asleep in the stern, sleep on the cushion, and they woke him, and they said to him, Teacher, it's an interesting word, Rabbi, do you not care that we are perishing? Okay. <laughs> I read it the way I read it on purpose because I'm telling you that is not how it was said. Okay? Now, narrative is meant to be felt. Narrative text, God could have written truths in a very textbook fashion, in a very didactic fashion, but here we have narrative. So hold on because we're supposed to feel the experience. So here's what happened. Let's walk it through. Jesus is teaching on the soils and parables during the day. Thousands of people, in fact, so many people, I said, get in a boat and kind of get out away so he can talk so everybody can hear him. I mean, that's so rocks. What, what, what a moment. I wish I would have been there just to be able to watch all that. All of that takes place. He's teaching, and then he's getting with his disciples, and they're like, man, Lord, I... Uh, teacher, Rabbi, I'm just not understanding. Can you help me? It's like, oh, come on, you guys. Come on, you guys. You need to understand these things. But yeah, I'll help you. I'll help you. And so he starts talking with them, explaining all of them. And then what a ministry day. You get to the end of the day. I mean, just imagine you're one of the disciples. It was like, that day rocked. 
This is the very beginning of ministry as it's flowing out. Thousands of people, man, and we're like front seat and what's going on in this teaching, blowing us away and all these people. This has been an awesome ministry day. And then Jesus says, hey guys, let's get in the boat and let's go where? Let's go to the other side. And so they get in the boat and they're getting the boat and they're talking about the day. It's like, man, this is awesome. And it's like, woo, God rocks. And, you know, they're like, you know, rowing across or however they did it in the boat. And they're going across. And one of them's like, whoa, dudes, looks like we got a storm coming, right? I mean, they're going to see it. And it looks like we got a storm coming. And then it's like, whoa, those are some serious clouds. Okay, hang on, you guys. I think we got a big one. Oh, by the way, if I remember correctly, if I have my theology correctly, is it not the case that a number of the guys who were in the boat were professional fishermen on that sea? That's correct. That's correct. Okay. And so they're going across. And so these guys, they know the water. And they know the weather. They've been doing this for decades now. And they're like, boys, I've been around the block a few times. This is a big one. And so they're like buttoned down the hatches and boom, and it's, and they're there. And, you know, they're, they don't have umbrellas. I mean, they're like, it's like button down and they're, they're sitting down and there's like, whoa, and then the waves are going and boom, and the water's coming in and it's like, oh my word. You can, Take me down a little bit if you need to. <laughs> but it's raining and they're getting soaked and feel it, picture it. And the water's running down, their hair's wet, their clothes are getting, And then the water's coming in and there's like, get the coffee cans. And, and they're like throwing the water out and they're throwing the water out. And then we see in the text, it's like, they're so scared. They think they're going to what? Drown. They think they're going to die. And then I don't know which one of them, one of them, or whether all of them, they're looking around, they're about to go down and die. These guys are scared to death. And by the way, (laughs) when the professional gets scared, you know it's time to get scared. I mean, imagine, uh, Karen and I are going to be flying out here in just a little bit, and uh, imagine if you're flying out in the airport, and uh, you're up in the sky, and the pilot gets on, he's like, hey, everybody just want for you, I I know he does it like this. And uh, you know, he's like, hey, everybody, I want for you to know I've been around. I'm flying a little while and you're waiting for him to go. It's going to be OK. And he's like, uh, we're going to die. And, you know, that's the time to total panic. <laughs> OK, and that's what's happening here. We're going to die. And then in the whole situation, what happens? All of a sudden, one of them, two of them, three. I don't know. They see Jesus in the boat sleeping. I got to tell you, I'm right with them. I would have been ticked off. I would have been. I'm a doer kind of a guy. I'm like, come on, man. And they're like, what? What? And they see this. They think they're going to die. And I don't think it was said the way I read it. It's more like this. The rain's coming down. The boat's going. They're throwing the water out, throwing the water out, throwing the water out. And then I see them back there and they're like, Throw. it's like, Rabbi, don't you care? We're going to die? Think of all the thinking that is wrapped up in that statement right there. Don't you care? 
They're accusing Jesus of not being aware. They're, within that statement, they're stating that he's uninformed. They're accusing the Colossians 1 Jesus that tells us he is the one who created all things, all authority, all things, invisible, visible. All things were created by him and for him. And here being accused that he doesn't care, that he's detached, that he's out of it. He doesn't love me. He's not in control. And oh, how you and I have done that. And oh, how you and I have done exactly that, right? Oh, but I've never said it. Lord, obviously you don't get it. You're detached. You're not in control. I don't know. Maybe you even think it's funny. You don't care. When we say that my life is out of control, here's the reality. What we are really saying is life is out of my control. When we say that life is out of control, what we really are saying is that life is out of my control. And our lives and our situations and our circumstances, hear me, are never out of the knowledge of And the control of the one who has created everything. Never, even when it feels like he's not. Well, I wonder how Jesus is going to respond right here. I mean, remember we just ended with the mic needing to be turned down because I screamed so obnoxiously, which I think was the case, soaked wet. You don't care. I wonder what Jesus is going to do. I'm just telling you, friends, if I was Jesus, which that's a joke, but if I was, I would get up and I would so Darth Vader them to the bottom of the sea. (laughs) King Emperor them out. (laughs) Right? I so would. It's just the truth. So I'm curious, what's he going to do here? I mean, he's been teaching, he's been patient, he's been explaining. What's he going to do here? Verse 39. Look at this. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a calm. No, no, no. There was a great calm. Here's what he does. He talks to creation. Who does that? Well, you and I have done that sometimes. Come on, rain. Stop raining. Get warmer. Get hotter. But, but here's the reality. You and I know that we have no control over that. But not Jesus. I mean, the fact of the matter is he awakes and he talks to the sea. He commands the sea and he commands the wind. 
I mean, he doesn't go into a big explanation. In fact, in the Greek, when he says, don't you care? Uh, it says he awakes. So he's like, just imagine it. They're in panic. The boat's still all over. Rain is just pouring down. And he just gets up and he wakes and, and he clears this water away from his eyes. Just kind of takes a peek around at what's going on. And he goes, see, opa. Pephimoso. The Greek just has two words. One's directed at the sea, one's directed at the way at the wind. Siopa. Quiet. Silent. Pathimoso. I love this. It means to be muzzled. I mean, you just think of a dog coming to attack you, and you're like, muzzle it. That's what happens. And he's talking with that kind of authority. And the wind ceased. Hear me. The wind obeyed. And the sea obeyed. And there was a great calm, the text tells us. What a contrast. What a contrast from... Oh, we're going to die. <laughs> Don't you care? Siopa, Pefimoso. By the way, I don't think it like instantly hit. I mean, the, the wind backed off and, and the waves started cutting down. And can you imagine being in the boat <laughs> and the guy gets up and yells? And the wind stops, and the sea starts going calm. And when you're going like this, all of a sudden it's starting to settle down. And you're like, and the water's still coming down, and you're still trying to get your breath. And you're just like, oh. Have you ever been out in a lake when it's just calm? Remember as a kid, a few times, a few summers, our family went to Vermont and my dad would have business meetings out there and we would go and he just ran a house on some house on a lake somewhere and just a couple summers we did it and I remember you'd go out in this dock and there's houses all around the lake and I can still see it and and at night you could sit out on the dock and when it was calm and you can actually hear like a party across the lake and I was the youngest of three, so I was the annoying one to them. <laughs> hey! And then a little bit later, you hear, hey! Coming back, and I'm like, yeah! <laughs> but it's just calm. I, I wonder what the 12 are thinking right now. Well, let's find out. He speaks to the wind and the wind ceases and there was a great calm, verse 40. And then he speaks to the disciples. If I was one of them, I'm like, don't look at me, man. And when he said to them, look at this. Jesus asked questions. Parents, learn from this. Not giving a demand, not giving a call, not saying you're idiots. Not saying you annoy me. 
not saying, do you never learn anything ever? Two questions. He nails it, the heart of the matter. Why are you so afraid? Well, honestly, I'd go, duh, we're about to die. I mean, seriously, wouldn't you? Let me just put this on the table, and I'll probably bring it up here in just a couple again, but let me just bring it on the table now. So what if they died? So what? Uh, So what? Uh, I mean, he just got talking about the fourth soil. And if you're owned by Jesus Christ, the scripture tells us that to be gone from here is to be with the Lord. Is that a bad deal? Hey, listen, I don't want to go through the suffering and the pain. That's already in my contract (laughs) with Karen and the Lord. I don't want to go through that. But is death really that bad? Doug, you're a dunce. No, I'm trying to think theologically. I understand the hurt. I've had people close to me die. I don't want to leave you guys. I don't want to leave my family. But so what if they ended up at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee? And Jesus nails it. Why are you so afraid? And here he nails it. Have you still no faith? Have you still no faith? Jesus calls out the problem with the disciples. And at the moment, they're living in fear. We all get that, right? Raise your hand. Yep. Come on, seriously. Raise your hand. Listen, we all get it. Why are you so afraid? Why are we so afraid? Why are we so afraid? They were living in fear. Fear is something that it's, I just got something I wasn't expecting. I just received something in my life I wasn't wanting. I mean, after all, I want calm, I want comfort, I want ease, I want love, I want health. Uh, I want I want to get married. I want to be unmarried. Uh, I want children. I want all my children gone. Uh, I want money. Listen, fear cripples. Faith. Let me just put a definition up. You've got it in your notes there. A faith. Faith is believing the word of God. Faith is believing the word of God and acting upon it no matter how I feel. Even in fear, we act by faith. We're not saying never fear. Listen, we will always struggle with fear. But fear cannot drive me. Faith is believing the word of God and acting upon it no matter how I feel, knowing that God promises a good result. Well, what's the result? Listen, let God deal with that. The good result may be death. <laughs> that's, not, that's good. Absolutely take me now. So let's be practical. So what could, what should they have done? 
Well, let's hit that in a minute. Verse 41. Look at their response. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear. What does that mean? We'll find out. And they said to one another, oh my word, that's in there. (laughs) Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? That was the right question. That was the exact right question. You know, uh, let's go to the other side. Ah, storm, ah. (laughs) Don't you care? Theopa, Pefimoso. Listen, what they were just saying, it wasn't like, I, I can't imagine right at the moment while Jesus is up, they're like, who is this guy? It was, he gets up and he says this and all this thing happens and they're like, by the way, Andrew, Can we all agree that that moment of them after the calm and continuing on, can we all agree that Jesus is much bigger in their eyes than he was over here when they left? Might God the Father have allowed the whole storm in their life to come just so they can see Jesus bigger? Mm. God is not a pampering God. God is a perfecting God. And he is working to perfect us and to grow us. Let me bring all this quickly back to our... uh, Last Sunday, the parable of four soils. Which soil are they most acting out right now? Soil number two. They receive and, yeah, what a day. And and then trial or persecution on account of the word. <laughs> Listen, we all can jump into soil number four as we can all jump into twos and threes. And I think what's happening here is this exact event, this laboratory is directly tied by God the Father with what was just taught earlier in the day. And hear me, that's how God works with his people. He puts us in life situations or he teaches us about things and then puts us in life situations. Let's see how you learn it. Because I'm not giving you information, my people, from God the Father, just to fill in a blank. We think here in America that maturity in Christ means I can answer more academic, fill-in-the-blank, numbhead questions. God's like, I want to see fruit produced. 
So how could they have responded in this? Let's, let's bring this to the practical here. How would they respond? How do you respond when life seems out of control? First, Christ noted the problem was living in fear. The emotion of fear is understandable, but my fear cannot drive my responses. Number one, fear clicks in when I disconnect God from my circumstances. And I mean, yes, when you and I actually make the disconnect with God and my circumstances. That's what fear is. There's a God who's not in control, so on and so forth. Fear clicks in when I disconnect God from my circumstances. Uh, The next bullet point, fear distorts my view of life. Fear distorts your view of life. Life is not fair. This shouldn't be happening to me. Life is supposed to be about my comfort and about my ease and my happiness and my, and, and my living not dying. I mean, that's why I received Jesus. Oh, that soils two and three. Fear distorts my view of life. I ask you again, follower of Christ, why fear death? And again, I get it. It's not easy. I'm not saying it's simple and it's just like, hey, everybody, I've got cancer and it's going to be horrible and painful. Yippee! Oh, please. That is not what the text is talking about. But the fact of the matter is fear does distort my life because even in it, when we fear with the next one, fear distorts my view of God. God's not fair. God's not loving. God's distant. God, you don't care. Fear clicks in when I disconnect God from my circumstances, but faith clicks in when I connect God to my circumstances. You see, faith sees Jesus Christ as the Lord of all of my circumstances. He knows about it, he's allowed it, and he's doing something in it and through it. He has a purpose behind it. He's trying to grow you, he's trying to prepare you for ministry to others, he's he's seeking to want to use you in that circumstance to be of ministry to others. I don't know what it is, don't worry about it, God's got a purpose on it, our job is to live by faith and not to try and figure out all the blasted reasons why. Faith sees Jesus Christ as the Lord of my circumstances and also faith sees his words as fully sufficient and trustworthy. By the way, what did Jesus Christ say in verse 35? Hey guys, let's go where? Let me read for you chapter 5, verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea. Now please do not take that and go see. Jesus is going to take me everywhere nice. And he's going to remove the cancer. He's going to remove the trials. Hmm, Maybe not. Maybe not. God is not your genie man. When that starts happening, what's really going on is you are God and he does your bidding. That's not the way it works. 
God is God and understanding the character of God is knowing that even when I don't get it, he does. I don't know what he's trying to do. I don't know if Satan is bringing this in my life, if God the Father is bringing this in my life. Frankly, it doesn't really matter. I just know that this is in my life right now and I know that God is wanting for me to deal with it in faith. Faith is believing the word of God and acting upon it no matter how I feel, knowing that God... What? So when I, when life feels out of control by faith, four things. When life feels out of control by faith, I cling to the words of Christ. I cling to the words of Christ. Hey, do you have scripture ready for you at any time when all of a sudden a tornado hits and you're like a wham and you have scripture to help you? Do you? I'll just say, if you don't, no wonder. No wonder. Uh, let me give you some. Job chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Job, his whole business is taken out. His family is taken out. His servants are taken out. His life is destroyed. And God allowed it. Read the text. And Job, I don't know how he did it, but at the end of Job chapter 1, Job tears his garments and he falls down and he worships the Lord like, I don't know what you're doing, but it's your deal. Uh, More of that in me. Habakkuk 3 verses 17 through 19. I will probably read that here at the end. (laughs) If you're a farmer especially. Another one, James chapter 1. Another one is 1 Peter chapter 1. Another is Romans 8, 28 and 29. And we know that all things work together for good. Verse 28. What's the good? Answer. Verse 29. That we would be conformed to be more like Jesus Christ. Why does God allow things to happen in our life? Answer. That somehow I would become more like Jesus Christ in it for his glory. I cling to the words of Christ. I cling, secondly, to the people of Christ. Hear me, I think this is really important. The disciples lived in fear together. They lived in fear together. They helped each other live in fear. We're going to die. I agree. I second that. I third that. (laughs) I mean, they're essentially helping each other live in fear. And that's why we're to live in faith together. You can't do the Christian life alone. You can't. And if you're kind of like, Doug, shut up. I can too. You're a liar to yourself. You can't. You need people to help you. We were not created to live life alone. Imagine they get in the boat. Let's go to the other side. Jesus is asleep. The storm hits. Boom, boom. It's going, it's going. Coffee cans are out there throwing water. (laughs) We're going to die. Imagine if just one guy in the boat, just one, just one of them in the boat paused for a minute and thought, hold on, hold on. In his own thinking, by the way, this can happen in a split second in your head. 
Hold on a second. Who is this guy? This guy is the Messiah. He is God in the flesh. Wait a second. He created all things. This is the one. I believe that's who he is in all this stuff. Hey, guys, wait a second. We, we have him, God the Son, in the boat, the Messiah, in the boat. And he said, we're going to the other side. Guys, I don't know what's going on here. Hunker down. Keep throwing water out. But we're going to the other side because he said so. Nobody did that. They weren't ready for it. They hadn't prepared for it. They didn't have scripture in their mind for it. They didn't have a back of three in their mind to bring to the table in the circumstances. And so they all lived in fear together, cling to the people of Christ. Third, cling to the person of Christ. I just ask, how big is your view of God? It's interesting in the disciples' statement to Jesus, teacher, do you not care? Teacher, rabbi, oh my word. Bless their hearts, I would have done the same thing, but now on this side of the whole experience, he's not a rabbi. He's God the Son in the flesh, the one who created all things. He's not a teacher. He's God. And even in their words tell what they saw of him. Not as the Lord of creation. And their words showed the reality of their smog view of Christ. But this whole situation increased their view of him. Who is this guy? Fourth. I cling to the words of Christ. I cling to the people of Christ. I cling to the person of Christ. I cling to the purposes of Christ. I'd term it this way. The disciples really saw Jesus asleep at the wheel of life. And I get that. I get that. And so do you. But they didn't have or apply a right theology of God and a right theology of suffering to their life. Fear clicks in when I disconnect God from my circumstances. Faith clicks in when I connect God to my circumstances. Living by faith, friends, is a choice. It is a choice. And when life hits, I must choose to cling, even when I don't get it, even when I don't understand it, even when I don't like it, even when I'm afraid and scared hurt and crushed and confused. Even in all of that, we are called to cling to him because he gets it, totally gets it. Let's pray. Hey, just as your heads are bowed, I just want to um, say to you, uh, if you're going through a time like the disciples are going through, well, this text is for you. Have you been clinging to the words of Christ? If you don't, you need to start too. 
You need to grab a hold of his words of scripture and you need to hang on to them like you've never hung on to anything you've ever hung on to before. You need to cling to the people of Christ. It's so common, it's so often that when life gets hard and we're hurting and we're confused, we pull away from people, not go to them. Cling to Jesus. Oh, hear me, cling to him. He wants you to. Velcro velcro yourself to him in this time. Cling to his purposes. If you're in the fog and you're confused and you're hurting, he has a purpose. And don't mandate his purpose. It may mean more suffering. Habakkuk 3. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, The produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no fruit. Imagine if you were a farmer. And the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Oh, that's a catastrophe. Yet Habakkuk says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. Lord, I pray for the person who's going through this right now today, for the single mom, for the single dad, for the marriage that's in this situation. For teens that may be in a a rough ride right now. For adults, for work, for finances, whatever it might be. Oh God. For the people right now that life has hit hard. I pray they would be running their life through the grid of scripture. Through the grid of you. May we engage with others who can take us to your words. May we remind ourselves of who you are and what you are seeking to do to grow us, to work us, to bring glory to you. Oh God, help us to see you bigger. (laughs) The wind and the waves obey you. We need to as well. And you are victorious over all things. You are glorious over all things. We are weak. Help us to connect you into it. You have the power. You are our hope. God, I pray for the person who is not going through the trial right now. May they know this. One's coming. One is coming. And may we all be prepared to respond in more faith, less fear. 
a bigger Jesus, a connected God. Help us. And thank you that Jesus did not fry them out. He knew their learning. All eyes on you. Jesus, only you. In your name we pray. Amen.